Breakups and divorce can be extremely painful, lonely, and confusing. But I believe they can also be the key that opens the door to who we really are. I'm Lindsay Ellison, author, coach, speaker, and single mom of two awesome young men. Welcome to a podcast about finding joy and inner peace after a breakup. You may not be able to see what's on the other side yet, but I promise if you do the healing work, your life will transform in ways you never thought possible. Welcome to Unbreakable You. Welcome back to a new episode of Unbreakable You. We are going to be talking all things trauma today. And I believe if you know my story and my personal story, if you've listened to it in previous episodes, you have heard me be quite open about some of the childhood trauma that I've experienced that continued to repeat itself in all of my adult relationships, especially uh, the romantic ones. And I am a huge proponent of for anyone to really go into some of the trauma work and do some deeper trauma work. Uh, we're going to be talking about trauma and actually defining what that is today. But if you are able to do that, then it can open up a whole new world of information as well as understand the existing relationship problems that you have. So today I'm joined by Dr. Don Russell. We're going to call him Dr. Don today, and he is an author, professional speaker, and psychotherapist specializing in trauma and trauma treatment. And he brings a style that is relatable and often humorous to connect with audiences as he unravels the complexity of trauma, vicarious trauma, and trauma treatment. Dr. Don is the author of the Trauma Treatment Companion, which has just been released very exciting to talk about with him today. And that is a user-friendly guide to the stabilization of trauma symptoms for smooth recovery from trauma of all kinds. And his trauma treatment is holistic, focusing on the mind, body, nervous system, and spirit. Dr. Don, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks so much, Lindsay. It is a, uh, it's a delight to be here uh, with you today. And uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to the conversation. Dr. Don, I don't know if you know my personal story or not, but I'd like to kick off on that just to kind of make it relatable. And so this is not such a, a clinical type podcast. And I believe that um, doing the work that I do with breakups and divorce, a lot of my work is centered around toxic relationships being in a relationship with a narcissist or personality disorders, etc. And I believe that if you're in a relationship with someone and cannot get out, it's, there's, it's, it's an indication that we had trauma in our life and we keep repeating it and uh, what's called repetitive trauma. I have done a lot of research on trauma, so I'm very well astute in being able to talk about it. So I'm really excited to have you here. But a lot of people don't really know what trauma is. And I really wanted to kind of start the show there. I don't know if you know from Instagram, and I've, I'm very open, how I went to the Meadows. Have you heard of that? Uh, yep. <laughs> so I went to the Meadows last year to deal with some of the deeper childhood trauma that I went through. Um, and I was having um, just a real difficult time in my life. And I didn't even go there specifically to deal with trauma. I just went there to just get some kind of reprieve and, and to figure my and do some deeper work. I didn't realize that the Meadows was just this wonderful place um, that specializes in childhood trauma. And I have experienced trauma in that I, yes, I've lost my mother. She died when I was young, right? When um, I was six, she died in a car accident. 
Of course, that's obviously traumatic. I was with her. But I felt as though I pretty much dealt with that. And I actually really have because that's such an obvious trauma that I had worked on that throughout my life. But then there was other nuanced trauma uh, going on in my childhood of just abandonment and my father and my relationship with him. Um, There was some neglect and a lot of turnover in my life with all of these nannies and uh, lots of other stuff that I actually would have never considered as trauma. Um, And ultimately what it did is it laid this foundation of um, kind of setting up codependency. Uh, The trauma, I think, really um, caused a lot of ADHD, focus issues, things like that. And that all snowballed and caught up with me in my adult life. And then it exhibited patterns in my existing relationships. So this is why I think trauma work is so important um, because if you're having a tough relationship, and especially if you can't get out of it, and I, uh, um, Dr. Dawn, I also talk a lot about love addiction and um, the addictive patterns and codependent patterns that we have, those are all indicators of some kind of trauma that we have yet to resolve and we keep repeating it in relationships. So I wanted to just first, with giving you that context, I'm wondering if you could help the audience or help us define what trauma is. And I will give you what the meadows and what I learned and the the way they did it, the way they said it was trauma is anything less than nurturing. (laughs) That's kind of beautiful. (laughs) Yeah, anything less than nurturing. And I'm like, okay, well, then then everything's traumatic. (laughs) (laughs) So this morning, shortly after I got out of bed, it was... Yeah, exactly. This horrible weather I'm having today is traumatic. (laughs) Yes, yes. So that's really what I want to kind of kick this off and just kind of get a feeling for what how you define trauma and um, how this can help people understand it better. Sure. Yeah. And you know what? We sort of joke and kid about that very, very open and broad definition that the Meadows has, but it's it's not too far off. And it really, I think to my mind, it, it, it offers a really important sort of correction to, you know, kind of the usual or the, the definition of trauma that people sort of kind of intuitively and unconsciously have in their back of their mind. Like, if it's something big enough to land on the front page of the newspaper, then okay, then that's dramatic. And that totally misses the vast majority of things that, you know, hit people's hearts and souls, and especially children's hearts and souls that really have the neurological and the physiological impact of trauma. Mm. So I'll see the Meadows definition and I'll raise it. I'll raise you. (laughs) A little bit. Uh I'll raise you. The definition that I like that sort of, uh, I think, speaks to people and also kind of opens up the world a little bit is that it's it's an experience that from the person's perspective, because trauma, like beauty, trauma is in the eye of the beholder. Mm, I like that. But from the person's perspective, it is mortal danger. Mortal danger? Mortal danger. Okay. This is approaching it a little bit from sort of a um, uh, a neurological lens. And let me unpack it for a little bit so so that I, so so it makes sense and and doesn't sort of freak people out, particularly when we think about childhood trauma. So let's let's take your example of being in a, obviously a serious car crash uh, when you're six years old. Okay, a car crash. Yeah, sure, we, we get it. That's a traumatic experience. But for a child in the vehicle at the time, uh, and I mean, I, I can't even imagine, okay? I can't even imagine. But if, if, if I could just sort of parachute into the into the lived experience of a six-year-old in a terrible car crash, 
the caregiver and the source of nurturance and the source of you know life and everything everything that a six year old needs for life is suddenly unavailable. Yeah, and and what that's going to mean for the six year old is I'm not sure of the language reading on your podcast, Lindsay. Oh, you can you can say whatever you want. But I'm fucked. <laughs> yeah, from the perspective of a six year old, like I'm fucked. My mm-hmm. my caregiver is, is and and knowing my mouth, I probably actually said that <laughs> when I was six. But go ahead. <laughs> so so it sort of moves us from the um, it was a violent experience. That's sort of what everybody thinks about when they think about trauma. Over to this whole other world of um, for a six year old, I'm I'm suddenly I'm in danger because my caregiver mm-hmm. is no longer immediately available and responsive to my needs. And so for a six-year-old or for you know a child of any you know those young's age, it's perceived as mortal danger. And from a neurological and nervous system perspective, it activates these survival responses that everybody has heard about the fight or the flight or the freeze. And then we have to introduce a couple of others, the the shutdown collapse response of oh geez, I'm screwed, I give up. Right. Or um, another one that's even less well understood, the the attachment cry, sort of the desperate level of, I need you. Mm. Those are all survival responses, and those get activated when a person, especially a child, sort of perceives like my life is in danger now. And I would say that it wasn't, so there, there was that one event, and then I had a father who was mourning, did not you know, he's young, mourned the love of his life, and he could also not be there for me. So I almost right. lost another parent yeah. in that. And, and, and I almost say, and I've said this in my writing that I've, I don't think he ever really came back. Uh-huh. So there was that real abandonment core of trauma yeah. that continued to repeat itself over and over and over again. And I think abandonment is one of the biggest issues I see. Uh, fear of abandonment or abandonment issues. I'm sure you see it as well. Yeah. I mean, again, the you know the the kind of dramatic trauma you know that that makes the front page of the newspaper. Everybody goes, yeah, okay, and that's sort of the acute trauma, right? I remember right. July 15th, X, Y, and Z happened. That's easy, and I mean, still heinous and <laughs> difficult and everything, but you know we can point to it. But you know that experience that you're describing with your with your dad after the car crash, you can't point to a day, right? Um, but what uh, trauma researchers are are starting to identify now is that that that's traumatic too. First of all, the neglect, abandonment, dismissive kind of um, pattern of experience between a parent and the child. But that oftentimes is actually more insidious and more damaging than the big dramatic stuff, simply because you can't point to it as, you know, the best. Right. It's not tangible. It's nuanced. Yeah. It's, it's, it's not tangible. It's, it's nuanced. You can't point to the day that it happened. Yeah. And there's this sort of built-in invalidation because nobody's saying to the little kid, that's terrible that that happened to you, you know, referring to the, the abandonment and the lack of nurturance, the lack of availability emotionally of your dad. Like nobody's, nobody's going, oh, that's terrible because it's just, well, it's sort of every day. Yeah. And also I find, I mean, not only personally, but through so many of the clients that I work with is that my reality was very negated by my father and that, you know, he's a lot of narcissistic Mm -hmm. tendencies where 
I, I could only appreciate his reality. My reality was often mm-hmm. ignored and negated. Um, and then whenever I would, you know, raise my hand to say, hey, this isn't right, or, you know, of some level, it was, um, it was often shamed. And, um, and so then there's that shame core, right. or the shame bind that we have right. uh, around certain elements. And again, those are all things that can affect our relationships with other people outside of our family system. Uh, right, that we bring forward in life. So yeah, you're you're highlighting right there. The, I mean, there's the sort of the essence of gaslighting, right? Is mm. in my in my heart and soul, I I know I'm experiencing a particular reality right now. Something is, I'm not really enjoying this experience right now. Something's wrong. My soul, my intuition, whatever you want to call it, my sixth sense is picking it up. However, the explicit message I'm getting from the person I'm in relationship with is everything is fine or whatever, you know, and that, that conflict between the explicit message and the message coming from the gut, well, something's got to give, right? Something's got to give because those two aren't reconcilable. And so what's inevitable for children, I guess the internal message must is wrong and it must be shut off because the big people in my life can't be, can't be wrong. They can't be lying to me, can they? Right. And you had said as we introed into this into this podcast, that was the word you used is experience. That trauma is your own experience and it's your own lens on how you see things. Mm-hmm. And it may, you know, the other person may not think it you know, my father doesn't think it was traumatic. He thinks he was a great dad. Right. right. And 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 that's what's um I think the reason why we repress our trauma or we're not even aware of it is because that experience was so negated or overlooked. And then I really do believe that's often why we can tolerate bad romantic relationships or even tolerate bad work, any relationship, work relationship, friendships, romantic relationships, because we've been taught that our reality and what we see it is, wait a minute, what's going on here? This, there seems like some red flags in this marriage or whatever. And then that person's in, well, not for me, no, there isn't. Right. And there's, I mean, whether it's gaslighting or not, we are conditioned to then ignore our own reality. Uh-huh. Yeah. So, so moving ahead, because um, I want to, I want to sort of link this together because you, you were making a really great observation before about, uh, you know, we have these early life experiences, which I'm going to sort of put the kind of a generic term of developmental trauma or attachment injury on those things Mm. and inevitably what happens is we take those become a template and we move forward in life and and those are the that's the template that we use to seek out romantic relationships in some cases work relationships uh, or work workplaces you know and then use the template again sometimes to uh, in our you know in our parenting of kids so quick story i'm the youngest of five kids so my four siblings claim that I'm the spoiled child. I'm going to, you know, deny that until the day I die. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But uh, so five five kids um, in a, uh, you know, kind of conventional, normal, externally looking, healthy family. And so my experience is the, is the you know, was the experience of kind of the lost child. You know, because my mom had some mild mental health issues, and and she raised four boys plus a girl. So my perspective, again, you know, the lens that I'm looking through as a kid, is it appears like there's not a lot of energy left over for me, and I'm sort of 
neglected, abandoned, uh, not really a, uh, attended to the way I wanted to be attended to. Again, it's perception right. and it's you know less than ideal nurturance you know, to, to that definition that you introduced earlier. So I move into adulthood and, and I've got this, I've, unconsciously I've got this, this template of, well, be a good boy and just don't really anticipate your needs ever really getting met was my template. Mm-hmm. And, and, and guess what kind of a marriage that I had. <laughs> it wasn't I, really good. I, I, totally. I t- took that template uh, quite faithfully into, into, into a marriage and uh, kind of woke up after 20 odd years and through the help of a friend, I'm giving a lot and I'm not getting a whole lot. And, Mm-hmm. That's not really right. So as a therapist, I had to get a bunch more therapy for myself. I mean, I got therapy along the way, but I got a whole bunch more therapy along myself to really critically examine what the hell I was doing and why mm-hmm. I was doing it this way. And really do, like have a kind of do, do some really, really honest work of, of not complaining about my spouse, but looking at my own choices along the way, uh, getting into the relationship and staying in the relationship. And and that's all about the template. You know, examine the old template and and critique it and ultimately throw it out and then adopt this new template of, you know, what I I want in a romantic relationship is I want want somebody that challenges challenges me, actually attends to me, and there's this beautiful reciprocal deep love and giving and receiving from the other person. And I'll tell you, Lindsay, it scared the hell out of me at the beginning. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the beautiful relationship was scary because like, I, this is new. This is new. This is new ground. You're asking me what, what I want in this relationship. What? I'm not accustomed yeah. to that question. So um, I guess I offer that to, you know, to your listeners that uh, it takes a, a whole lot of work to, you know, to do that examining of the old template. You know, what did we come into adulthood with from our childhood experiences and from our developmental trauma experiences? And we need to critique that, probably throw out lots of it, keep some of it. And then you know you're doing well when, you're, when it feels unfamiliar and a little bit nerve-wracking. You basically just said, in your own words, what I talk about of as our belief system. So when we're raised in a family system, you were the lost child, I was the scapegoat child, sometimes mediator, those things, because we all can be different roles in family yeah, yeah. systems. But this belief system about yourself, your belief system was, you know, I'm, I'm not worthy of being seen, let's say. Um, yeah. I'm not used to being seen. And when I am, it's scary. That belief system is I call short for BS. It's bullshit, right? <laughs> of course you're wor- worthy of yeah. being seen. Of course yeah. you're worthy of love. And then when you start to reprogram the belief system and challenge it, now you have a new belief system, which I say NBS, which is not bullshit, okay? It can be very healthy. And 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 yes, I know exactly what you're talking about because I've, I'm, I'm in the same situation where I'm in a healthier relationship and... It's almost like someone speaking French to me, right. you know, because yeah. cause you're, you're, you're learning a new pro- programming language. And so that actually is a good segue to talk about this book that you have um, and, and helping people. Because I really think, um, I'm, I'm curious, it's this, this workbook that you have, because 
Uh, and if that's something someone can do self-paced or so, to, on their own, or or is it something that they should be doing with their own therapist? Because I think one of the harder things people might say, well, there's two things. One, I don't have any trauma, but then I'll always find it for, <laughs> on behalf of someone, right? right? Or it's scary to them. They don't, they don't even know how to examine it or even understand it. So like you just said, a car accident was very obvious. Yeah. But then there's so many things of, of, of um, people don't really recognize that they have trauma until they start to work. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. maybe walk us through this workbook and how it can really help people. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, I mean, first of all, yeah, you're, I mean, you're making a great point that, um, I mean, for some people, yeah, they know it. They know that they're still haunted. They still maybe even have like flashbacks and nightmares about, you know, those things that happened. But for lots of people, the trauma is manifesting just in, in relational patterns. So um, in some cases, uh, you know, what I see, you know, in my therapy office is, you know, uh, for example, a couple is coming because they find themselves stuck in a, uh, an unproductive pattern of relating with each other. They get into these unproductive conflicts and uh, one person says, I just have to get out of here and go for a walk. You know, oh, well, look at that. There's, there's, there's a flight response. Yeah. That's what that is. That's a trauma response that just happened there. And the other person is going, you're not leaving until we settle this fight. Oh, look at that. There's a there's a fight response. That person is having a, a trauma response. It's showing up in the pattern of how that couple is doing conflict. And I would have freeze, you're abandoning me, and I would shut down. <laughs> there you go. Right? So that's another trauma response, right? Uh-huh. There's another trauma response, yeah. So, yeah, so in that case, right, the, the couple came for couples therapy, and you know, the classic opening line of a couple coming for therapy is, we seem to have some communication difficulties. And well, but you know, in the next 15 minutes, they're communicating just fine to me. Right, yeah. <laughs> so it's really, really, really articulate with me, but they, they're getting into that pattern. So the, the trauma treatment companion, it's actually, it's practical exercises throughout the book, but it's, it's, I wouldn't really call it a workbook. It's what it is. It's a, it's a book alongside people that are getting therapy for trauma or even anxiety. But really my heart's desire in creating the book is actually the book I had in my mind, people who aren't able to avail themselves for whatever reason, uh, therapy yet. So the book is for people, you know, they maybe they're just not ready to go and get some therapy. Maybe they can't afford therapy. Maybe they are in just an underserved region of the country or the world. But this book is, you know, for the price of a Kindle book or a, a paperback, they can actually start the process. The book sort of, you know, provides a little bit of psychoeducation about what trauma is, you know, exactly like we've been talking about here in this conversation, and um, demystifies, you know, the the chaotic feelings that are going on inside, and then walking people through some strategies to to stabilize those trauma responses. So if they if the person's trauma responses are in the hyperactivated sort of end of things like fight and flight and freeze, then throughout the book, there's a whole bunch of exercises that that teach people how to downregulate their nervous system. Mm. You know, so when you when you quote unquote lose it with your spouse or at, at the job, here's some strategies to bring yourself down back into what we call a window of tolerance. Or conversely, if your trauma survival response is more of the shutdown, 
the, oh, I give up. There's nothing I can do. I give up. Sort of a depressive kind of a thing, which actually is a trauma response. There's really um, solid and easy to implement strategies to bring the person back up to, into the window of tolerance. So they're, they're coming back out of numb into engaged. So the book is for, for two audiences. It's for two audiences. It's sort of alongside therapy for people that are getting therapy that they can sort of leverage what they're doing in therapy with some stuff that they can do on their own. But also for, you know, all those folks that, you know what, they'll never see the inside of a therapy office because they're in rural Mexico, for example, and they're never going to go to therapy. It's just not possible. Right. So I want to bring an example that I hear all the time from my clients. It's pretty, you know, it's pretty much across the board. Uh, so the majority of my audience is already divorced or separated. They're not really in the relationship. Not all the case, but it's they're co-parenting and they get a text from the ex and it <laughs> sends them into a trauma response. Uh, heart is beating fast, getting lightheaded, anxiety, um, not being able to breathe, can't focus on work, afraid to even look at it. Then they open it and then their heart is beating really fast. And then he might say uh, something blatantly awful or something covertly disguised as, as passive aggression, let's just say. And so this is a trauma response that I actually, when I talk to clients, depending on who they are, it often is so linked to being little. They feel like they're a little girl. Um, and that's when they were yelled at. They were yelled at. Um, they had no control. You know, as children, we don't have control when we're getting yelled at. As adults, we do. Um, so give me an example based on that one thing. Give me an example of something in your book that maybe you could share with the audience of what do you do when you're in that moment? How can you regulate? Sure. I'm going to give a little bit of theory and then really, really practical. The theory is from um, Bessel van der Kolk is just one of the gurus of trauma treatment. And uh, he makes the point, and I, I quote him in the book saying, trauma actually isn't the thing that happened, the terrible thing that happened, like the car crash or being yelled at. Trauma is what's happening now inside you. And so when I do trauma treatment, one of the first things that I'm unpacking for people is, yes, absolutely, terrible things happened back there. But we don't even have to talk in lots of detail about what happened back there because the, the problem, the reason you came for therapy is because you're having this reaction inside you right now. So trauma is a thing that's happening inside. As you say, in that example, the person is having a reaction inside today that really belongs to something in the past. So I think it's Bessel van der Kolk, it might be somebody else that also says that every trauma is actually, it's actually dissociation. The person's leaving the present and they're going somewhere else when they are having a trauma reaction. What's his book real quick? Um, What's his book? Bessel van der Kolk, um, The Body... The Body Keeps the Score. Keeps the Score, yeah. Yeah, and I wanted to just mention that because that's sitting behind me uh, on my bookshelf. Fabulous book. I mean, that it's, was a game changer. So anyone who's interested about trauma, it's so, I, I underlined almost every page. It was ridiculous. <laughs> yes. So that, I just yes. wanted to call that book out. The body keeps the score. Okay, go ahead. Yeah, so trauma is actually dissociation. So kind of like, uh, you know, Elvis has left the building. When we are having a trauma reaction, we're actually leaving the present and we're going into the past. Whether it's, you know, past last year with X 
or whether it's past decades back being yelled at as a kid. So there's the theory. I'm done with the theory. And back to your, your example. So if, if the problem is dissociation and I'm leaving the present, then, then what we want to do when we get that text from our ex is we want to get ourselves back into the present. And specifically, we want to notice and experience that it's actually safe in the present. So a, a really simple exercise is to, okay, yeah, just read the, you know, the, yeah, I got a text from my ex. Oh, I'm freaking out, heartbreak, sweaty palms, whole nine yards. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to look around in the room that I'm in. I'm going to look very carefully in the room that I am, that, that I'm in. And I'm going to check. It sounds really ridiculous, but I'm going to check for any danger in the room that I'm in. Mm. And sometimes I actually ask clients, like, seriously, look under the sofa just to make sure, because I want the nervous system to collect data in the present at this at this moment in time. Yeah. Is there any danger? No. But I'm afraid when I open. No, no, no. Right now. Right now. And so if we use our senses to collect the data that there's no danger and we kind of go in our mind and let our the information from our senses sort of communicate to our nervous system that there is no danger right at this instant, then that will downregulate the nervous system out of that fright, uh, flight, fright, or freeze response back into, back into rel relatively calm so that we're able to think when we come back out of that hyper-aroused state, then our frontal cortex has an opportunity to come back online when we can actually think. And then when we think, we can say, okay, I can look at the text and I can filter out the narcissistic, passive-aggressive jabs. Mm -hmm. And I can just distill down, okay, I have to answer a question. Or maybe I don't even have to answer. Maybe there's actually nothing I have to do about this text. Right. Maybe, maybe I can actually delete it. It's just a jab. It's actually bullshit or fake news or whatever, however you want to label it. Right. That's a really good tool. I mean, it's 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 very simple, and I and I remember seeing that done at the meadows when I could, you know, people that I was witnessing they were having that trauma response, and it was right away the therapist would say, you know, look in the wall. What do you see? Look around you. Look at everyone making eye contact and really getting into the present. And and um, yeah. I never experienced that personally, but having witnessed that, uh, it was remarkable to see how it just calmed calmed uh, the person down and it was very helpful well you know we're running out of time uh, I would love to dive into more of these but um, I'm gonna just encourage the reader to, to get your book and to I mean just those simple things there it is on on YouTube the trauma treatment companion where can they find that book it's available on Amazon I'm going to be in bookstores but uh, I'm, I'm not gonna promise uh, at this point but definitely Amazon Okay, super. And if anyone wants to find you, how can they find you? Yeah, the easiest place to find me is drdonrussell.com. Well, I'm, I'm going to get the book. I'm very excited to, to check it out. And uh, I encourage all my listeners as well. Dr. Don, thank you so much Absolutely. for joining me today. And I really do want to just take this last moment to encourage all of my listeners uh, to really, you know, don't be afraid of looking at what is traumatizing you now or what was traumatic. Uh, because when you do, my God, it is liberating when you have these tools and resources. Um, I believe that 
it never really goes away. You're not going to get deleted this memory of whatever event happened, but you really can change your and reprogram your nervous system to react to these things differently. Um, it does take practice. It does take time um, and to be patient with yourself. But once you learn these tools, and I, and, and I, I got to say that word over again, tools and resources, tools and resources. And that's one of the things that I teach people in my course, um, Breakup Breakthrough, you're talking about this in your book. And when you have them, you'll know then what to do in a trauma situation when you're not being traumatized in that moment. So I call it like your trauma mitigation plan. You want to know what your triggers are, right? And then you practice it when you're not in that, you know, elevated nervous system state. So thank you for being here. Thank you for your work, Dr. Don. And for everyone else, thanks for tuning in. And uh, I'll see you next time on the next episode. Take care. Thanks for listening. If you haven't already, make sure you sign up for your free subscription to Blessings of a Breakup, where you will receive daily spiritual guidance on getting out of your pain and back to who you really are. And if you sign up, you'll get access to my private Facebook group and more good stuff. You can find it all there at lindsayellison.com.